Today we're diving in-depth to your needs. But not just needs overall. Needs as were defined by what I believe to be one of the godfathers of modern psychology, Abraham Maslow. If you've worked with me before, been curious about working with me, I am heavily rooted in a, in a psychological basis for how to make impactful changes in people's lives. I actually have every client that I work with go through a proprietary assessment called the Life Optimization Test that combines some of Maslow's teachings, some of Claire Grave and Don Beck's teachings, some of Ken Wilber's teachings, and many other people's into an assessment and roadmap of how your mind works. Because from that place, we can look at some of the areas for opportunity for growth, we can pinpoint on exactly what those are, and I can make quick and meaningful changes in your life that can be tracked and monitored. So no longer in my world is personal development or self-help or whatever you'd like to call this, no longer has this become some arbitrary thing that, you know, why do you have a life coach? Eh. Now it's because you just want to become an optimized human being. You want your brain to process as efficiently as possible. And in order for you to understand the power of that assessment, we must first dive into Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and understanding how that impacts motivation. Because whether you accept it or not, life is a series of motivated events. And the level of motivation that you experience determines your ability to make a movement towards a desired outcome. So what drives you to get out of bed each day to do what you do? Seriously, what, what, what's the motivating factor behind it? There's a very high possibility, more like a probability, that you're going to say, money, I have bills, I have debt, and so I, I have to go to work. I'd encourage you to consider a whole different opportunity for your life. That is such a short scoped view on what you're actually divinely capable of. To consider that you're going to work your entire life doing things that don't bring you value or purpose so that you can pay bills for stuff that doesn't really matter is a horrible way to have to go through life. But let's not even take why you get out of bed. What about if you exercise? What's the reason you tell yourself you're going to exercise? What's the motivation behind it? Is it to stay fit? To live a long life? Is it for vanity metrics to look good? Is it to protect yourself? What are the reasons behind it? Why do you do what you do? Money is one answer. But unless you don't have enough food to eat and a roof over your head, money's not actually the main answer. That's not the main motivator. See, I'm going to share Maslow's hierarchy of needs from my perspective and understand the hidden drivers or help you understand the hidden drivers behind some of your behaviors. I found that just his base level teaching, like his, his incredible work in the psychology of being is a phenomenal book that I believe every modern day businessman should read. And woman. I believe even if you're not in business and you just want to communicate more efficiently and effectively with other people, you should read A Psychology of Being. It's an incredible book. But let's dive into the truth behind motivation. 
we would most likely, you and I, like to think that we know the why behind our actions, right? Like, why do I get up and go to work? Well, because I need money. Well, perhaps, but that's, that's, an, that's a, not really the why. The why is roof over your head. Maybe some food in your stomach. Maybe transportation, right? The why is always different. The why is always deeper. Most of the time, we're not consciously aware of why we do what we do. Another way to say that is we're almost unconscious to our real motivations. Think about that. Your entire life, there's a very high probability that you have been unconscious of your real motivations up to this moment. And what's even more painful is when you discover real motivations, it can become very sobering because it starts to challenge the identity that you've told yourself about yourself. So your entire life up to this moment, you could have defined yourself as one specific type of person with one specific skill set and motivation set. What happens when that changes? What happens when your awareness opens up? You see, I believe all this to be intertwined into why less than 10% of the population is focused on consistent self-improvement. I believe there's something to be said for that matching to almost the exact number of people that are attempting to transcend from level six to level seven consciousness as defined by Ken Wilber. I believe as you look over history, there's always been this, you know, somewhere around five to 10% early adopter of almost everything. And as our collective consciousness increases and the individual consciousness of you and I keeps ascending, we eventually will transcend the current plane that we're on and be able to tap into things that are much greater than we understand. If you stuck with me through that spiritual mumbo jumbo, what I'm saying is when you get dialed in to the fact that your motivations might be different than you think they are, it's a heightened sense of awareness now allows you to create a new reality for yourself that is in alignment with your purpose and your actual desired outcomes. So let me give you an example. You may think you purchased some sort of material good, we'll say a pair of shoes because you like the design or they were comfortable. But in reality, you probably bought them because it reminded you of something or someone you secretly envy, like a celebrity or someone you subconsciously compete with each and every day wore something similar. I bring up the sneaker example because I have a whole room full of sneakers that I don't wear. I 100% buy sneakers based off of every one of those factors. It was painful for me to admit that, right? I, I buy Jordan shoes because I was in awe or an envy of how he was able to perform day after day on the basketball court. I have Air Max 97s because I remember what it was like seeing kids when I was young wear those into school. I have all these triggering events based around shoes and what they mean to me. But in buying these shoes, both these conversations were based around Nike for me. I bought them because they made me feel a certain way. And it was a source of a trigger of these feelings that up until not too long ago, I was fairly unknown about. Like I didn't have any understanding of what they were. Now I get as I'm sharing this with you, there's a very, very good chance you're saying, no, Ryan, I'm not shallow. I'm not superficial like that. 
as I'm saying this out loud to you, I have the same voice in my head saying the same thing. You see, we often deny our primary motivations because they're inconsistent with how we want to perceive ourselves. That level of denial makes it difficult to see exactly what forces us below the surface, right? What influences us. And savvy marketers and advertisers understand these hidden motivations and exploit them to get you to purchase their products. That actually is part of what I help motivated business owners, entrepreneurs, professionals go through in my plan to take them from you know, two to three times their current earnings in as little as 90 days. We have to get very clear on the marketing message and how that impacts people from a psychological basis. You have to know who you're talking to and how you're speaking to them in a way that they can hear while having them make a decision more than likely based off pain. Newsflash for you, my friend, you and I don't make decisions based off pleasure. More than likely. We are finally ready to take action and get help solving a problem when the pain of inaction outweighs the pain of action. We are pain-based decision makers. I share all this to set up the framework for what Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs really is. And you may have never heard of this before, so I'm going to walk you through it from a base level. We have the uh, air, water, food, homeostasis, sex. That's kind of base level. Next level above that ends up being a safety level, something around like shelter, clothes, familiarity, maybe even your routine. The third level of ascension talks about belonging and love, right? Connection to family and friends and colleagues. The fourth level taps into esteem, right? Self-respect, respect from others, high evaluation of oneself, achievement, reputation, and prestige. Then the fifth level, the final level, as Abraham Maslow would have defined it as, is the self-actualization level, self-growth, right? Actualizing one's innate potential. If you've listened to this show since the beginning, my first episodes were all based around spiral dynamics, Taught by, created by, founded by Claire Graves, backed up by Don Beck, and proceeded forward by Ken Wilber. The majority of that work is based around self-actualization and understanding that we're all trying to transcend our own level of consciousness. We just do it at different rates. It's fascinating the, the interplay between the five levels of need from Abraham Maslow and then diving into the eight levels, I guess we could define it as nine currently, of human ascension as it pertains to Claire Graves and or Ken Wilber. But I want to dive into these five levels just a little more closely because they might feel academic in this moment until I can help relate them to your daily experience. So if you were to do research on Basil's hierarchy of needs, if you were to Google it right now, it's M-A-S-L-O-W you're most likely going to see this as a representation of a triangle, right? With the base level needs being at the bottom and self-actualization being at the top. What's phenomenal or fascinating about this is in Maslow's work, I personally couldn't find somewhere where he actually presented it in the way of a triangle. It was just the announcement that the levels were there. 
And so they would all be equally as wide if you could accept that to be a possibility. But in Maslow's basic needs, all the needs below self-actualization, right? So below that fifth level are referred to as basic needs. Now Maslow, back when he was doing his research and coming up with his hypotheses, which is now known to be what we'll refer to as factual, these needs were neurotic needs, right? Even deficient needs. Because if you're focused on meeting these needs, your life is consumed with fear. And if your life is consumed with, consumed with feel, fear, there's a part of you that can't feel yourself. You don't, you're not fully tapped in the environment. You can't operate from a calm and quiet center. And any unmet basic need will cause problems and tensions that you'll need to seek to resolve. I mean, think about it. If you didn't have air, food, or water, that's a big deal. You're certainly going to feel unsafe. If you didn't have somewhere to live or clothes, it's probably a pretty bad thing for you. If you didn't have a consistent source of affection, right? this doesn't have to mean a boyfriend or girlfriend, but someone that told you that they loved you, if you didn't have connection to family, or if you felt isolated and alienated and didn't have friends, that's going to cause something inside of you. And if you didn't have any sense of self, right, you didn't feel any sort of prestige, if you never had any sort of achievement you were proud of, that's also going to create some things inside of you. So let's jump, jump into right, the base level need. Right? Without air, food, water, we can say that basically everything eventually perishes. What's good about modern times is when you're hungry, you eat, right? That's when you need food. But think about when you are coming up to lunchtime, you didn't pack your lunch, you're running low on cash, so you don't have food. You probably get anxious, right? There's like that nervous twitch inside. Like, what am I going to do? You tell yourself the story, the bad things are going to happen if I don't eat right now. I can't even focus, I'm so hungry. How many times have you said that to yourself? Or think about, this is a, a, certainly a truism for me. When I fly, right, I hop on a plane, I stay ultra hydrated when I fly, try to always have a gallon of water before a flight, and then as much water as will serve me on the plane, plus a ton of water when I get off, because flying is a natural dehydration mechanism. So imagine you, you have to urinate during a flight, and there's a bunch of people in line in front of you. And as you're sitting there, jumping up and down, getting nervous, right? Because you you feel threatened. What am I going to do? What happens if, if my bladder breaks loose? What, what, what's going to go on? It's crazy how that ties into how we operate. What's even more crazy, if you're listening to this show, this actually shouldn't be an issue for you. We make it one, though. I say it shouldn't be an issue because at this moment, over a billion human beings do not currently have sufficient food to eat or clean water to drink that's readily available to them. So we don't even know what that's like. But these needs can remain unmet even in people who aren't in this extreme environment of lack. Think about a child. As when you were young, if meals were withheld from you as a form of punishment... 
then a part of you, right, the childlike part, is always going to be seeking food, even when your body's not hungry. How crazy is that, that the patterns that you've been running that you didn't even get to pick as a child as it pertains to food could be impacting the way you show up right now and your relationship with the food that you eat? All this is in Maslow's work. Then let's switch up into safety needs. This is something, right, as it pertains to shelter. Really, it's cover. It's things to cover our body. It's in the the form of clothes. It's shelter from the elements. It's creating familiarity. And let's say for some reason you, you currently don't have enough money to pay for your rent or your mortgage. You don't have enough money for clothes, and not for fashionable clothes, but just for clothes in general. And you don't have enough money for transportation, whether it's mass transit, public transit, or even a bicycle. If that's you, your safety needs aren't being met. Here again, there's obviously many, many people in the world that don't have their basic needs met. And if part of you felt physically or psychologically unsafe as a child which is true for so many of us, then that part is continually seeking security. So even as an adult living in your own home, an insecure part of you can make it feel like something terrible is about to happen. For this very reason, many adults leave the lights on in their home after dark or leave their televisions, radio, or music running in the background at all times all based off of what went on when we were children. The other thing that that will happen, potentially to you, is when you're in this period of transition, right? Let's say you're moving jobs or switching apartments or buying a new house. Your security needs easily get triggered because safety would have to imply then a certain degree of control in your life. So when your survival is threatened, you feel out of control. The natural tendency when you feel out of control is to try to grip onto things. What help you grip onto things? Well, consistent routines. But when you're moving, right, switching jobs, getting a divorce, that's an instant trigger if this level hasn't been actualized for you to begin to feel unsafe. So we talked about food, water, shelter. We just spoke about, you know, how all that interplays with each other. Now let's take the next step up and talk about love and belonging. Belonging ends up being a psychological need that is predominant in adolescence. And some would maybe refer to this as an identity crisis. We can dive into that in another show. This need, though, Quite often, and this is, this is a painful one for, for many, this need remains unmet during adulthood. See, belonging ends up being a feeling of connection with and approval from other people. Right? So we're relinquishing our control to out external sources. It starts with our immediate family, typically, then bridges out into potential religious groups when we were young, then into friends, then maybe into peer groups or social groups. And later it would eventually extend into professional relationships and marriage partners. When you're born into an unconditionally loving and accepting family, 
and grow up surrounded by mature, mentally healthy adults who would support, guide, and defend you when you need, a feeling of love and belonging can grow in your heart. You'll actually end up becoming the guiding light for those around you in adulthood and can bless others in need. You also no longer would need to be around anyone else to feel okay in your own skin. Here's a harsh reality though, my friends. Most of us, I'm even going to say potentially almost all of us, didn't have that experience in childhood. Even though so many of us do a great job in deluding and convincing ourselves that we did. Inevitably, our parents did the best they certainly could have. But they were immature. As a 22, 23, 24-year-old man or woman, you didn't, they didn't have the skills required, the mental development to get to the point to consciously raise a child. So while they did the best they could, they were unconscious of the majority of their behaviors, their thoughts, their feelings, and probably even their impulses. The byproduct of that is most of us walking around right now, you listening to this show, there's a great possibility You've got a longing to belong to something greater. And that ultimately stems at a deep root from fear of being alone. And that fear of being alone, you subsequently experience at some point as a child. And this unmet need to belong drives us consistently to identify with social groups, to maybe join churches or religious pods. It also fuels so many people's impulse to invest their time in social media. So if you find yourself consistently scrolling through social media, commenting relentlessly on other people's things, you're looking for tribe and community. And it's not that there's something inherently wrong with that, but we have to start leaning back to the root cause of why that exists. Because when we allow external forces to control our internal happiness, there's always going to be a part of us that is left deficient. And so from that place, let's, let's bridge up to that fourth level, which is esteem needs. Right? This is self-esteem. This is the last of the neurotic needs. And these self-esteem needs, it ends up being the driving force for most of our behaviors in public. See, our, the image-driven culture that you and I live in actually pushes us to be way more concerned with what other people think instead of how we feel. And what happens during that time period is that we end up seeking approval from everybody else instead of self-acceptance. The harsh reality of this is the unmet need also stems from being rejected or disapproved during some point in childhood. Now, it doesn't have to be in explicit ways. It could also be in subconscious ways. Unmet esteem needs influence the majority of Facebook, Instagram, and all social media platform usage. This is where this, this is going to smack you right in the mouth. Most users end up posting things they are doing with a subconscious message of, look at how great I am. Most people don't post the bad stuff. You post the great dinner. You post the perfect smile. You post all the stuff. I was guilty of that. Right? I'm, I stopped using Instagram and basically all social platforms July 2nd of this year. Because it finally dawned on me of the absurdity of what it is that I was doing. 
There's nothing wrong with branding and marketing. Certainly, that's how businesses grow. And while running ad campaigns is certainly fine, the consistent requirement to post and share the highlight reel or even the low light reel just became absurd to me. Because all it does is create a continual comparison loop with everybody looking to potentially envy each other. I can't tell you the number of current research studies that link Facebook usage to increased depression and elevated jealousy. These things are actually repressed emotions that get triggered because of an unrecognized need for self-esteem somewhere deep inside of you. And if that's not challenging enough, right, if I didn't just really pour salt on some open wounds for you, there's a whole nother dimension to our esteem needs. That's our internal esteem, right? That's kind of, that's how you see yourself. So think of every judgment, every criticism, every rejection you ever experienced from your parents, from your teachers, anybody that you held in high regards as a child ends up getting internalized as the voice of an inner parent to you. Some individuals have these inner parents who are nurturing, accepting, and understanding, who are able to somehow magically guide their behavior, not with shame and guilt, but with self-compassion. Boy, was that not my personal story. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a majority. I think that's a very small minority of people that actually have that. I believe, again, most of us have a much, much harsher inner parents that scold us, berate us, and judge us. This would be that part of your inner voice that you might refer to as your inner critic, your judge, or your saboteur. So now that we've addressed these base-level needs, I want to shift for a second and help you assess these basic needs. I want you to, to shine some light on some blind spots that might exist. Like, how would you know if you have unmet basic needs? I've One of the most simple tests I've ever found to help you achieve this. If you can sit down and just be, you're good. But if you feel like you need to consistently be doing something or consuming something, and that could be food, that could be social media, that could be drugs, that could be work, that could be any of those things. Even things I'm not talking about. The, some of the sedations, right? Alcohol, porn, what? Anything that's not sitting in silence. Statistically, your basic needs have not yet been met. You see, we all share the same needs. These needs end up being our birthrights as human beings. But when something blocks or challenges these inalienable rights, we all end up exhibiting some sort of strange and off-putting behavior. That comes from the fact of where our decisions are made by fear. That's what we're driven by. We don't feel accepted. We don't feel loved. We don't feel respected. And so from that standpoint, we behave irrationally and impulsively. We do this in an attempt to resolve an unmet need. It's crazy that this ends up being the, the foundational basis for the majority of my, I can't even call it debauchery, right? Inability to have tough communication and conversation with past girlfriends as they would stack up on top of one another. I'm not ex- externally blaming someone else for the decisions I made, but the facts of life are I had developmental needs that I didn't know weren't fully actualized. I didn't realize that this 
level of understanding exists in the world. And I'm not alone in that. I mean, generally speaking, the motivation behind almost all of our rational behaviors and thoughts exists way outside of our awareness. Another way to say that is when something threatens your physiological safety, your social safety, or your esteem needs, we don't really see why we're behaving in that moment as we do. And so what happens from that standpoint is those unmet needs end up ruling your behavior. Like all of your neuroticism based upon needs holds you back. It actually is slowing you down from being your best and highest potential self. These neurotic-based needs force us into a set of patterns and behaviors that reflect a specific archetype that has existed for as long as we've been alive. This typically stems from us being concerned with how people perceive us. We act in a manner we think will meet their approval. And different archetypes, which we can dive into in another show, have different patterns of behavior. Let me give you an example. If you have an unmet esteem need, you're going to seek status and approval from others, just the way it works. If someone in your environment is playing the quote-unquote cool guy or cool girl archetype, you may try to mirror or copy their behaviors and mannerisms to also appear cool. If someone's behaving more like an aristocrat, smug, arrogant, elitist, and looks down on you, you're going to end up reacting in a very specific way based around your unconscious trigger to the esteem need that you don't have fulfilled. You might end up feeling small in comparison to this person, but then you'll seek out someone else you can dominate to feel better about yourself. That would then, in turn, begin to raise your internal self-esteem. But I need you to keep something in mind. There's a good chance that these archetypal patterns of behavior are way outside your conscious awareness. You probably think you're behaving one way, but in fact, you're presenting yourself in an entirely different manner. There's been so much research that has been done that suggests over 95% of all behaviors that we exhibit is unconsciously motivated. That statistic alone speaks to the massive importance of shadow integration, getting to know those dark sides of your subconscious and psyche. Part of getting to know that side is then also tapping into the wounds from childhood, the wounds that caused unconscious behavior. Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist on Instagram, does a phenomenal job of consistent daily content based around all of these concepts. Right, I also want to share, I certainly am no psychology major. I'm no wizard at this. This is a combination of various people's works and understandings that I'm sharing with you to heighten your awareness. So I want to share with you another vantage point. There's a child part within all of us that's driven by the basic needs. And until we finally grieve and come to terms with the loss of the child, right? This old version of self, the the young version didn't get what they wanted. You can't fully, efficiently root yourself 
in your adult part or access your full potential. It's crazy, right? You have to make peace with your past. Your mess becomes your message. There's all these different ways to say things, but it all comes down to the fact of while you were developing, right? We can really go anything prior to 12 years old. I'll push it even to 14. What happened to you in those moments in time, no matter how traumatic you may believe them or not believe them to be, are completely ruling your current day. There's some things that made Maslow different from most of the psychologists of his time. You know, if, if we look at the traditional, right, the Freudian way of looking at psychology, Sigmund Freud was focused solely on really the people that were quote-unquote broken, right, neurotic people, people that had issues, and that was the, the goal to, to talk about those people. And Sad Maslow took a whole different path. He wanted to understand positive mental health. From this standpoint, it was kind of the foundational basis for all of his work all based around individuals that weren't struggling to meet their basic needs. Maslow began down the path of looking for what he referred to as self-actualized people. And self-actualization, in case you're curious, is really nothing more than the need to become what one has a potential to be. I'll share the next episode. I think it's a a good point to dive into a guide for self-actualization. Right? There's 13 characteristics that Maslow identified for self-actualizing individuals. And I believe once you have a heightened sense of awareness, there is an easy way to achieve those. And if you're someone that's excited for next episode, you fall right into the next part of this, that self-actualizing individuals are focused on their internal growth instead of just meeting their external needs. This would be a classification as far as Maslow would be concerned of someone that is quote-unquote mentally healthy. However, when he was conducting his research, he found it incredibly challenging to find enough of these people to actually conduct the study. As you are questioning all of this, as you are potentially thinking that I'm full of it, if we look at a generality of of people globally, right, and there's a little bit of unfair nature to a global statement because right there's a billion people without food and water majority of you listening if you're listening right now you're probably in the u.s but generally speaking the people that maslow would classify as truly actualized people is less than two percent of the population less than two percent so as you're fighting this as the ego inside your head is saying no 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 ryan none of this is right None of those are me. You got this all wrong. I might, but if you look around the room that you're in and there's 100 people and you see three people that seem to be more put together than you are, I've got news for you, my friend. You're not one of the 2%. But let me give you more context. Maybe maybe I'm casting a negative light on you that's not needing to be there. Because we can talk about what motivates someone that's healthy. Basic needs like food, water, shelter, sex, friends, family, reputation are all external needs. You can't meet them within yourself, right? Someone else has to give them to you. You would need to seek them through the environment or other people. So what then happens once all those are met? 
and the basic needs are fulfilled. Maslow would say it's that there's about a 180 degree turn that happens. Their attention shifts from what's outside of them to what's inside of them, which is what's happened to me over the past three years. Right? There's a reason this personal development, this self-help, this awakening thing happens. You look all the way around, you get your base level needs met, everything's good, and you spin the camera back around and you look at yourself. And you realize at some level that you're the cause of your entire universe. See, the subconscious questions behind most human activity include, what will other people think of me? Will other people approve of me? How do I compare to other people? Each one of those are external-based questions. If you're self-actualized, you're guided by a different set of questions. What am I really capable of? What is my true purpose here? How do I find meaning in my life? How can I actualize the best version of myself? Notice how each one of those hypothetical questions are all internal-based. They're all individual. The question of capability or potential is never about someone else. When individuals compare themselves to others, external esteem needs, non-self-actualization is motivating their behavior. It's just that simple. And it's okay if you're there. You're in good company. It's a majority of the populace. But it helps shift you towards self-actualization. That's where the fun's at. But what happens is, from an egotistical basis, right, as we shift towards self-actualization, it appears selfish. Right? You're focusing all, the, all of the growth on yourself. It's actually just the exact opposite. Individuals necessarily act selfish when basic human needs drive them. Why, might you ask? Well, I think it's really based around basic needs stem from deficiency. It's a feeling of lack, a fear of not having enough, not being enough. It could be that they stem from a sense of separation that then triggers fight or flight mechanisms in our brain. And this happens, we can't assess situations. We can't, we can't really, as you can't assess, assess situations, right? That prefrontal cortex, the part that's the, the epicenter of all good decisions, doesn't really kick in because the limbic system, right? The primitive brain center, kind of that, it's called to as a monkey brain or the lizard brain, that ends up being in control. But once the basic levels are need, of need are, are required or met, the fears that drive all needs fall away. Right? I mean, think about it. If all your base levels and needs are met, you're just very relaxed. And when you're very relaxed, you can actually relax into yourself, your own skin, your own essence. The need to impress anyone else or get approval from others doesn't influence behavior at all at that point. But what happens is your awareness is increased, so you realize other people are judging you. It just doesn't really matter. And in those same time periods, they no longer seek a group to be a part of. They no longer require an idea to define themselves by. Doesn't that sound like the promised land to you? Doesn't, isn't that what we all ultimately want? Isn't there a, a calling inside of you as you hear this to become actualized? In order to do so, you'd have to drop the comparison. You'd drop the need to compare yourself to others. They begin to just become individuals. They create their own path. Right? And 
in that place, these healthy adult mature individuals, right, they no longer hold the external rights of or rules of right and wrong. It ends up being an internal moral compass conversation. This ends up getting into personal values and ethics. In psychology, I believe they're referred to as B values, which I think is being values, but I could be wrong on that. But I think the being values include things like truth and justice, simplicity, self-sufficiency. So if the goal is self-actualization, how do we get there? How do we make that goal a reality? Well, if you strip away all of your unmet basic needs, we begin to arrive at yourself. See, whether you believe it or not in this moment, as you're consuming this content, you are truly a limitless creator. You are divine in every sense of the word. You are a part of something so much greater than you can ever see. It's just how it works. All of that makes you extraordinary. And an extraordinary human being has extraordinary capabilities and abilities beyond your wildest imaginations. So in truth, a self-actualizing individual is more human than the rest. Because humans, you and I, are remarkable creatures with potential we usually only gleam from arbitrary people that we idolize inside of movies. Your mission to begin to self-actualize is to strip away everything that you're not. I can't help but love psychology. And another man we're going to speak about at some point is Carl Jung, J-U-N-G. I'm not 100% positive on this, but I believe he called this process of really realizing the unique human as individualization. You actually are able to start to separate yourself from archetypes and behavioral patterns and discover who you and what you are, your authentic and best self. It's in this sacred and best self space that the true essence of all humanity lies. That's where all your creative brilliance is. That's where your infinite divinity re resides. In that place, there is no fear, right? You've transcended past that. You've moved through unconscious behavior. And an end to end needless suffering that we inflict on ourselves and other individuals each day. Self-liberation then, right? I would say to be liberated would be to be actualized is the goal of knowing yourself. And knowing yourself brings personal freedom. It will liberate your unconscious and the motivations and habits of the past. The best part is, it's your birthright. You don't have to do anything to get it other than to put in the work. But the sheer reality in daily life are most of us are pursuing these human needs simultaneously to varying degrees. Instead of focusing on just which one you're attempting to meet, I'd encourage you to consider all the overall direction of your life. Instead of stacking the needs one on top of each other, I actually believe it's a more of a horizontal line, right? Almost like an endless continuum. And that endless continuum, you can shift back and forth depending on the days and the times and the hours in which things go on. 
But if you're consuming this, I have to assume you're investing and increasing your effort on growth. Hopefully you feel a little more satisfied in this moment. And from feeling more satisfied, that actually will continue to fuel your growth and additional efforts further. However, if you emphasize turning to unmet essential needs, then your frustration is building. Frustration in that moment of time diminishes your motivation to grow. It's crazy how all this works, right? I mean, there's a chance as you're hearing this, it's all mumbo jumbo and it's all craziness. I know when I first was exposed to this, I, it was too much for me to take in. So I want to give you four key takeaways based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs theory. The first thing I'd like you to consider is we're all far more alike than we are different. We are part of a human family. We are not against each other. We are not different than one another. We are all one. The second takeaway would be that most of us are feeling more insecure, unloved, and unworthy than we admit to ourselves and others. And because of this, these unmet needs end up fueling our unconscious behavior. Just accept it. Work through it from the, the level of acceptance. Third thing I'd like to consider is that the, the positive mental health that you want to experience as an adult is reached when you resolve the hidden tensions within ourselves. Only then can you access your innate potential to be a thriving adult human being. And the fourth takeaway, the thing I think is biggest, is focus on your overall life direction. Any individual moment in time doesn't define you unless you allow it to be. And so it becomes a conversation of, are you moving towards a direction that makes you happy for growth? Or are you regressing in an attempt to meet your basic needs? I know this is a lot. I know this has been a heavy episode. It's been heavy enough. I didn't even pause and break to ask you to go over to optimizelifeshow.com, download the PDF, grab some content, grab some library. I didn't do any of that. It's my goal that this show changes your belief in yourself. I've helped more people than I can count walk through these issues, these things that hold us back, only in an effort to get clear in their minds so they could finally grow the business they've always wanted. I'm giving you the advanced roadmap right here, right now. The biggest thing you can do to help support that roadmap getting out to the public is share this. Share the show on social media. Leave a comment or review. Hop inside of iTunes or wherever you consume it. Give me that five-star button press. Type something up about how this is impacting you. Take a screenshot and send it to your friends. This is the roadmap. This will save you tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of therapy of personal development work, of reading hundreds of books, of attending hundreds of seminars. This is a great place to start, and I sincerely appreciate you sticking it out through this probably a little cumbersome episode, but something so impactful. For more information like this, not only can you hop over to OptimizeLifeShow.com, but much of this is a conversation point inside of the Human Potential Institute. Institute that's founded by my friend, 
the great man, the mentor, the coach, Dr. Mark Atkinson, as it pertains to really stretching what's possible inside of your mind. The beautiful part about going through the Human Potential Institute, even if you don't wish to be a coach or a mentor, you just want to be the best version of yourself, is there's a step-by-step, module-by-module, live-call-by-live-call protocol that over a long enough period of time will completely open your awareness to what's possible and really help you create the best version of you. Go do me a favor, check that out as well at humanpotentialinstitute.com forward slash optimize for more information. I'm Ryan Nidell, wishing you truly unlimited success.